Good morning. My name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at the Village Church. Before we get into the message, I am so excited to remind you that next weekend is our 50th anniversary. I do, I got to tell you, I, I prayed this, but I think to myself every single time a church makes it another year, the fact that with all of us sinners in a church that we can still be united in Christ and worship together, I mean, it's, it's a borderline miracle, and God has been really, really gracious um, to this church for 50 years. So we are so excited. Next weekend is going to be a busy week- weekend. I want to tell you a little bit what's happening. Friday night, we are having our vision dinner at Maggiano's, and it is free if you are 18 years old or older, you are welcome to come. This is not a fundraiser. We're not going to be putting out a financial number and asking you to meet that, but we are going to be looking to the past, to the present, and then we're going to be setting some vision and direction for things that we see coming in the future. Honestly, I am so excited to share with you some of the stuff that we've been praying about and working on and then uh, talking about it together as a church. So um, you need to sign up for this. Registration is going to close tomorrow night after Awana. There are a few spots left. And so if you go to vcob.org forward slash 50, I believe, right? Yes. Um, Or you can just go to the hub either way, but you can um, sign up and register there. We would just love to have you join us. Um, On Sunday morning, I am not going to be repeating much of what we talked about um, on Friday night. So if you really want to hear what's going on on Friday night, is going to be the place to be. Then Saturday, we have our church picnic. We have multiple throughout the summer, but um, this is going to be on a Saturday instead of a Sunday. It's going to start around noon as opposed to our normal picnics, which are in the afternoon later. And it's going to be at Dave and Julie Antiojo's home. We have had church picnics at their home for decades and decades. And so um, we are going to celebrate together. There are, I think, eight, nine, or ten people being baptized right around noon. So if you come a little bit early, we get to celebrate what God's been doing in a whole bunch of people's um, lives. And then we are going to eat and celebrate and have a great time. And so, um, by the way, if you've ever been Parking is going to be a little bit different, so just pay attention to signage because we're going to have a whole lot more people than, than normal. Uh, if you go to the hub or to vcb.org slash 50, it'll tell you everything to bring. It's a potluck. You're going to want to bring some chairs, and uh, it's going to be a great opportunity. People are coming from really from years and years and years ago attending Village Church. Um, many of them are going to be actually at this event, and so we're excited to, to be together with them. And then Sunday morning, we have three services, 8.30, 9.45, and 11.15. We have Village Kids for all three services. And so we are so excited to come together and celebrate God's faithfulness in Village Church. So um, we want to request, would you register? That would be actually really helpful for us so we can kind of get our head around it. If you are a leader at Village Church in any way, we have a simple request of you on Sunday morning. Um, would you go to the early service or the later service so that we can make space for more people at the 945? If you have to go to the 945, that's awesome. But if at all possible, earlier or later, that would be amazing. So everything there, vcb.org slash 50. Sound good? Whew, there's a lot going on. I was like, how do I get three big announcements? But there's one registration, so go, go check all that out. All right, so as elders, we have the joyful responsibility from God to oversee Village Church. And essential to healthy, God-glorifying oversight of any local church, you need healthy communication. So in that spirit, what I want to do is I want to kind of set up the direction of our message and the text we're going to be in. And I want to share with you uh, three leadership communication values. Number one, truthful, not spin. Do you ever sit and listen to somebody up front and you're like, just tell me the truth. Stop spinning this. Stop trying to make it better than it is. Just tell me the truth. I hate spin. Number two, transparent, not secretive. There, there are always going to be secrets leaders can't tell. For example, we know a lot of things about you right now going on in your life. Do you want us to get up and declare those in front of the entire church? The answer, of course, is no, not at all. But one of the desires is to be able to talk about most anything happening in the life and the trajectory of the church, about whether it's <clears throat> leadership or money or staffing or ministries. And to be able to have that kind of freedom to speak to you, it is a wonderful, wonderful gift from God. Transparent, not secretive. Number three, trusting and not manipulative. Um, 
our job as spiritual leaders of just one of Jesus's local churches in the world is to trust his Holy Spirit that is in you. So we have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. And one of the, one of the realities, I think, of, of healthier spiritual leadership is they have high confidence that their body has the ability to pray and to discern the Holy Spirit as well. And so these three things come together, truthful, transparent, and trusting. Um, sometimes some leaders use manipulation tactics because they don't trust the move of the Holy Spirit in, in their people's lives. So they will use guilt or shame or manipulation or coercion to kind of get the body to move in a certain direction. And can we all just agree that is not what we want for our church family? So these values, they are not admirable. They are expected. This is not a high bar. It's just the bar, amen? And if you or leadership, we don't meet the standards, you own it, we own it, we apologize, and then we move forward together in a spirit of unity. That is what family does. Why do I say all this? So this is my 13th year as the lead pastor of Village Church. If you're counting interim, it's 15, but 13, where officially that's been my, my job title. 2022 is the first year since I have been the lead pastor at Village Church that we've experienced a very specific and unexpected trend, and we all need to talk about this trend. Now, before I tell you what the trend is, because I love suspense, I need to share with you a few other trends first that actually put it in its context. So what I want to do is I want to share with you a, a, a handful of trends that have been happening at Village Church since COVID began. Ready? Since COVID began, we have seen more people trust in Christ than ever before. Something, amen. This entire cultural climate has produced a sensitivity in people to the gospel and spiritual growth like never before. I've often wondered, God, why would you even allow us to go through this season? And as I watch people return or seek after the Lord, I'm starting to see the Lord is always up to something bigger and better. And it's not just a village church. As I talk to my buddies across the country, there is a renewed spiritual interest like never before. So Village Church, we have, since COVID began, baptized more people than ever before. We have had more digital visitors than ever before. And if you don't know this, people rarely walk through your actual front door until they walk through your digital front door. We have had more in-person first and second time visitors than ever before. We've had more people attending Village Church than ever before, although the vast majority of people attend less frequently than ever before. That's another casualty of the post-COVID era. We have more people in groups than ever before. The amount of people who call Village home and are connecting and growing significantly increased during COVID. We have more regular givers than ever before. We have lost very few people to COVID disagreements. There have been a few families who disagreed on mask issues. We support them. We are in good spirit with them and encourage them to move on. And that has been expected, but it has been very few people. Uh, Many have moved out of the state, and the vast majority of you are jealous. (laughs) Amen. But significantly more, I mean, the key word, significantly more have joined Village Church than have left Village Church. If you've been around for, like, we'll say maybe more than a year or two, you have noticed there has been a massive shift, even on a Sunday morning, who, who is around you. We've had no big controversial leadership decisions that have created conflict. I'm thankful for that, but that has not been a part of what we've experienced. If there's something I don't know about, I invite you, please come talk to me. We've had no internal leadership conflict that I am aware of either. Now, all of that is necessary for you to understand the unexpected trend. 
So let's create a baseline here. I want to take a snapshot of our past Q3 giving average per week. Now, if you don't know what Q3 is, there's 12 months in a year. You break it up into quarters. So you have Q1, 2, 3, 4. Right now, we're in Q3 of 2022, which is July, August, September. Did I get that right? July, August, September. Yes, there we go. So I want to go back in time. And so Q3 of 2019, we received on average $19,180 per week. Village Church's generosity has been astounding. And, and that was what it took to kind of make the ministry happen on the ground. But also one of the things to know is that um, we had far more needs than we had staff and ability to actually meet them. And so we went into COVID. The whole world kind of blew up around us, and everybody got frugal, right? Village Church got frugal. We, we stopped all spending, and we just wanted to wait and be patient and see what's going to happen in this season. And so our average giving in Q3 of 2020 was $19,580 per week. Now, I want you to watch what happens in Q3 of 2021. It jumped to $28,076 per week. This was a significant reflection of a couple factors. Uh, number one was just the natural growth that was happening at Village Church. As you came, you began, began to see the needs and you realize it costs a lot of money to make a church function well so that you get what you need so that you can do the ministry that God has called you to to be a spiritual family. What we did as we got into 2021, and what we typically do when we budget is we budget the following year based on Q3, maybe a little bit of October, the giving averages we see there. So typically what we want to do is we're going to keep our next year's budget pretty close or in line with what we think is going to happen in Q3 of the year before. This allows us so that if we continue to grow, we have a little bit more margin, we could save some money. We try to be really intentional as we plan for the future so that we don't budget more than what we see the trends are providing. Amen, Kirk Verhasselt. Amen. He's one of our elders and has uh, been astoundingly helpful in budgeting. So I want you to watch now what happened in 2022. In Q1, we went down to $25,503 per week. We saw that and we thought, well, let's just wait and see what's going to happen. Q2, we averaged $23,342 per week. Q3, it went down even more to $21,710 per week. The total drop from Q3 2021 to Q3 2022 was $6,366 per week, a 22% decrease in giving. For the last... 13 years, our giving has basically kind of gone like this. So when we budgeted for 2022, we had no historical basis for seeing any of these trends happen. So uh, we began thinking, researching, data mining, trying to figure out what is happening. And here are some of the plausibilities that we explored to see what was going on. Was there theft Quickly, we realized, no, there's not, because it would require at least two or more people conspiring over a long period of time and then evading the watching eye of our elders and multiple other people who eye the finances closely. We are confident that did not happen. Was there an accounting error? We did change our, um, our, our financial software, um, some of our giving programs. Was there an issue there? We've not, not been able to find any, anything there. Was there conflict in the church? No. Disagreement over major decisions? No. Significant job loss in our community. In fact, what we found is that more people are working than ever before and making more money than ever before at Village Church. Were there lots of people leaving? No. Major givers leaving? No. Summer giving slump? No. Software glitch for online givers? Maybe a possibility there were some issues where people's giving was being declined, and so we get notice of that, and then we call you and say, hey, FYI, this was declined. We keep a pretty candid, honest relationship open um, with anybody who gives regularly. If you gave and it declined, we feel obligated to tell you. There's a handful of that. We dealt with them. There's a possibility that um, some of you, if you 
you set up online giving and you don't look at it, uh, there is a possibility that we've seen that it might have actually stopped your online giving, not told you, and that might have been happening now for a few months or more. So as an immediate takeaway, one of the things you can do is go to church center or your bank or however you give auto pay and make sure that those are working rightly because um, that is a possibility. But uh, we don't sense that that actually is the major reason either. That's just a, hey, FYI, go check it out. Um, Thank you for doing that. We think there's a bigger reason why this is happening. And the more we listen, the more confident we get in this reason. Economic uncertainty. Inflation has taken a major toll on families. If I were to have all of you raise your hand and say how many of you have been massively inconvenienced by, your, by inflation, the vast majority of you would raise your hand. Gas and energy prices have hit everybody very hard. How many of you love the price of the gas tank? That's awesome or not. Uh, the decline in both the stock market and crypto have actually really, really affected a lot of people in our community, especially as people are getting closer to retirement. That's hitting them a lot harder. We've noticed um, that people are paying off over the last year long-term debts that have been hovering over their head as there is uncertainty all around us trying to make sure we don't go into whatever 2023 has for us. Culturally, people are beginning to pay off debt Typically, as people pay off debt, they usually don't stop vacationing. They stop tithing to pay off the debt. That's a weird thing that I don't totally understand, but that's, that is a reality that we see happens. We're watching people address debt aggressively right now. In light of future uncertainty, people are saving as much money as humanly possible. By the way, if the future is uncertain, should we all save? The answer is yes, absolutely. I think there's another thing here, which is psychologically... Uh, it, is, it is not common, probably for most of you in one season or, or another of your life, to be able to say, I, I need to slow down giving because I've got some things I have to take care of. Maybe something happened, there's an emergency. And in our brain, we think this, village has always been fine. They have always been good. Pastor Michael has never once in all the years that he's ever stood before us and told us that giving has done anything but go in this direction. Now that is unsustainable, you all see that. Nothing can do that forever. So it's natural that people would say, I need, I need to like pull back. I need to get some things straight here. And that is normal expected, except when 25% of the church all does it at the same time. And so I think that is probably what we're experiencing. Nothing malicious, nothing terrible, no big argument. I think it's just a really, really hard season for the vast majority of people. And so um, this trend actually wonderfully sets the stage for our preaching text this morning. Uh, in our preaching calendar, September the 11th was designated to talk about giving and generosity. And so here's what I want to do with you. I want to invite you, would you open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus? We're going to be in chapter 25. We teach on money and giving regularly. Jesus talked about it. We talk about everything as a family. Um, I know for some people, they're like, why would, you, why would you tell visitors who are watching online or visiting your church about a financial struggle that you guys are watching or a negative trend. Listen, we have nothing to hide. This is what it is. We love you. We are a family. We're going to talk about these kind of things, and we're going to open up God's word either way, whether we are experiencing much prosperity or we are experiencing um, a, a tightness or a lessening of giving. We're going to always talk about God's word because we want to make sure on every subject we give God glory and we submit our minds and our hearts and our lives underneath its authority. All right, so this, this giving message is going to go in a little bit different direction than the normal, but I think that'll be good. In Exodus 25, there's a problem. There's a vision, and there's a need. Here's the problem. Israel didn't know how or where to worship Yahweh. They have been slaves in Egypt for centuries, and their spiritual heritage, so much of it has been lost the rhythms that they had before being enslaved. And so now here they are, they're running for their lives, they're in the middle of the wilderness, and they don't know how or where to worship Yahweh. There's a vision, and I think the vision is really strange, but the more I think about it, it becomes a genius kind of vision, kind of like the way that only God would do. Here's the vision. A portable tent <laughs> called a tabernacle where God would dwell with his people no matter where they went. Every other God was housed in a big, beautiful, grandiose temple. But the one true God of the universe, 
He decides he's going to take up residence in a tent with a wandering nomadic group of people who are running for their lives from the Egyptians. A God's glory was represented by his house. And somehow Yahweh is unlike any other God in the world, not that they're real, but any other notion of God. He is so much more compelling and beautiful and humble and glorious. And this tent, it would become the most important place on the globe. It would become this one singular place in the entire world where you could go to be in the presence of the one only and true God. And Israel was tasked with this incredible responsibility to build this tent. Now here's the need. Very simple, three things. Money, labor, and resources. And God intended to build his house, not by himself, but with his people. So as your pastor and representing our elders, we love the way Moses went about raising funds for this project. Particularly because you're gonna see this in Exodus 25, Moses was truthful, he was transparent, and he was trusting. You're not gonna see an ounce of manipulation in Moses. You're gonna see no coercion. In fact, you're gonna get, I think, a picture of what a really beautiful standard is for the way spiritual leaders should communicate about problems, needs, vision, money, resources, etc. Now, this might be your last Sunday at Village Church. You might come and be like, I'm never walking through those doors again. But maybe, maybe in this message, we can maybe set the bar for how leadership should speak to their people about problems, money, vision, and the future, and resources. So what I wanna do is in Exodus 25, I wanna pull out two just principles about how you should expect leaders would talk to you about money and needs in the family of God. Principle number one, Moses trusted the people to pray and respond. Look at verse one. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they may take for me a contribution. And, and, and right off the bat, I love that God says, listen, Tell everybody about it. You get in front of them, you open your mouth, and you let them know there's a problem, there's a vision, and here's the need, here's the strategy and how we're gonna go about accomplishing this vision. Verse one continues, the, the contribution would not be taken by force or by tax, but from every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. Every man whose heart moves moves him. So this vocabulary is very important. In fact, I've taught on this before, but I want to give you a refresher on this. This is what the Old Testament calls a free will offering. And a free will offering, very simply, it's a voluntary religious offering, and it's made in addition to what is required by vow, tithe, or pledge. So under Old Covenant law, they did have to give a certain amount, a tithe, a tenth, etc. They would also make uh, pledges and vows and certain things. The free will offering was separate from all of this. The free will offering was something that you did above and beyond whatever your other obligations were, meaning it was given freely, it was given without coercion. And so people would actually give different kinds of things in a free will offering. Typically, the kinds of things that you would give corresponded to the job you had nine to five, Monday through Saturday. They would be, if you were a farmer, you would give uh, food or you would give an animal. If you were a craftsman, you would give the materials or maybe even your service. If you were wealthy, you would give money and precious metal and precious jewels. And free will offerings were really, really valuable and important to God. I'm going to give you two reasons why. Uh, number one, the free will offerings allowed Yahweh to do something that is really important to him in every single person he has ever been in relationship with all throughout human history. It has allowed God to partner with his people. God has an incredibly high value of not doing everything on his own by himself. Can we agree that the Lord does not need your ministry, your money, your effort? He could accomplish everything he wants without any of us or our resources, amen? But he, he is so funny. He's like, no, I'm not gonna do it unless you participate with me. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and they were given this awesome commission to rule and subdue over all of creation. Could God not have done that himself? 
And yet he's like, no, we're going to do this together. I am going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. And you are going to go lead and rule and subdue over creation. You're going to name it. And you're going to bring the glory of God into this world. You're going to do that. And I'm going to do it with you. Uh, I'll, I'll give you another example of this. Uh, if, if you have heard about Muslims from the Middle East or Africa coming to Christ, you've probably heard this before. That almost always, if a Muslim is going to come to faith in Jesus, they're going to come to faith because they had a dream and Jesus showed up in the dream. Now, here's what you may not know. Almost every one of them will tell you the same story. Jesus did not preach the gospel to them. But Jesus told them where to go to find a Christian who would preach the gospel to them. How inefficient. <laughs> Jesus' value is not that he just does it all by himself, but that the people, his people, his family, does it with him. This has been his MO from creation, and it will be to the end of infinity, which never happens. God is passionate about being with us. And so whenever, whenever there is a job to do, he's always like, here's the job, here's the vision, here's where we're going. We gotta get together and we have to do this. Free will offerings allowed God the uh, privilege to partner with his children. Here's the second reason I think God really loved free will offerings. They revealed to him the true state of the heart of his people. Let's just take, let's take Israel for a moment. There was a free will offering before Exodus 25. And it was a free will offering that Aaron invited the people to contribute to to build a vile and disgusting golden what? Right. They were not compelled. They were not manipulated. They desired to give their funds to this thing. So when God comes to Moses and says, take a contribution and I want it to be a free will offering, he is actually testing the heart of Israel. Have they repented from their free will offering to demonic idols? And have they realigned their hearts to Yahweh? That's what he's watching. Now, I want to be really, really clear. So there's no, nothing like red between the lines here. Last time I checked, I don't sense, by the way, that you guys have built a golden calf and worshiped an idol and done crazy things like that. I don't have a sense that for Village Church, the Lord is plausibly even withholding funds for a season to, because maybe for some reason you've been giving your funds to demonic dark things. That's, that's not the implication. But that's for Israel. That's why this free will offering happened in this time, in this place. He's testing them. And then whatever happens, it's showing you the alignment of the people of God to worship of Yahweh. Now, in the book of Exodus, the, the building of the tabernacle and the funding of it, it happens um, really throughout a significant portion of the book. So another section of this is in Exodus 35. If you have your Bibles open, turn to Exodus chapter 35. I'll have it on the screen for you as well. We'll be in verse 20. And I, I want you to watch how the free will offering worked. It says this, then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, they returned. Everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and they brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all of its service and for the holy garments. Listen to how verse 22 says this. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, no manipulation, no coercion. No law, no tax, no fiat. Go, pray. What does the Lord want for you? In chapter 35, verse four, it says this. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing the Lord has commanded. Take from among you the contribution, a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Uh, I want you to watch as this is applied to the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and 8, by the way, lots in, in there on giving. Here's what it says. And I want you to listen, listen to the spirit of what Paul's saying. 
He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, no coercion, no manipulation, no shame, no guilt. None of these worldly demonic tools. We don't use those tools in the kingdom. Those are dark tools. We use light tools. For God loves a cheerful giver. So I told you a need, right? And if you're not stirred, that's fine. Um, If you're not, don't do anything about it, actually. Like, our expectation is that we are honest, we're transparent, we're truthful, and we're trusting. And then you have to figure out if your heart is stirred, what the Lord wants, et cetera. And that's good. This This is right. Now, where does Paul get this language from? The free will offering. This might blow your mind, but the the whole framework of New Testament giving is not percentage-based. It's actually rooted in something deeper. It's rooted in your passion, your generosity, your heart, your desires, what you want to do. Let's look at the second principle for leaders, and I think this is good for you to have clear expectations um, wherever the Lord might take you in a local church. Moses was crystal clear. He was crystal clear on two things. Number one, he was crystal clear regarding the specific needs, and he did not hesitate to talk about it. Don't you just love when people tell you what they need rather than making you have to guess? Amen? Look at chapter 25. We'll go back 10 chapters. Verse 3. This is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. It always starts with money, right? We need money, okay? And... I love the specificity. Blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. Oh, by the way, don't forget goat's hair, really important. Tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood. And if you don't know what acacia wood is, it's absolutely beautiful. It's not even super expensive. If you go into my house ever, our whole first floor is acacia wood. It's all different colors, varied, absolutely a beautiful wood. Oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incenses, onyx stones, and stones for setting the ephod and for the breastplate. I love the clarity. But Moses was also crystal clear on the why and the vision. And in chapter 25, verse 8, here's what he says. Let them make me a sanctuary. Why, God? What is the point? That I may dwell in their midst. What does God want more than your treasures? more than your skills, more than your awesome good looks, more than your full head of hair, haha. He wants you. He wants to be reconciled to you. He wants to build his kingdom with you. Through you doesn't quite capture it. He wants to, arm in arm, side by side, work with every one of us in this room to build his kingdom on earth. That's what he wants. All of that begins when you trust in Jesus Christ. The money, the building, lights, all of it, they're a means to a bigger end. He wants to be worshiped by you in your presence. He wants to build the kingdom with you. Like all, everything we do, God willing, is about building people who are gonna be worshiping and following Jesus Christ. And so that's what God wants for you. And I love from the very beginning, again, you go back to the garden. Where did God want to be? With Adam and Eve. And when sin separated them, what does God want to do? He wants to bring the two back together. He wants to dwell in the midst of his people. God loves places and spaces and experiences that measurably help people connect with him and grow spiritually. And when we think about how we spend money, we want to fund these kinds of things. Uh, One of the great blessings of COVID is that we went back through every single part of our church from top to bottom. We turned over everything and we asked the following question. Is this thing, is this ministry, is this fund, is it measurably making disciples? And if it's not, how do we shift it or stop it so that we can accomplish in everything we do the mission that God has given us as a church? It was one of the greatest blessings that we have had during COVID. And we want to make sure we are funding the kinds of things that help people know, love, and follow Jesus to be with him and to partner with him in building the kingdom of God on earth. I've talked about money a lot in the pulpit, um, probably because it's just all over the Bible. So when we teach the Bible, we talk about money. And I have so appreciated the spirit of Village Church. To date, I have yet to have, well, actually, somebody joked with me in the service, and they did say this. But to date, in a non-joking way, I have not had somebody say to me, you need to talk about money less. 
So one guy came up to me and he goes, you need to talk about money less after the first service. And I said, I said, you're joking, right? And he goes, absolutely, keep talking about money. And I was like, thank you, we will. Never, like the, the absolute kindness and the desire that everyone has just understood, we have to deal with every part of our life. We have to talk about it biblically, openly, and freely without coercion and manipulation and submit every part of our life under the authority of God's word. This past week, we sent out an email that our benevolent fund had run empty. And we said, hey, it's empty. You know, could you give um, to replenish this? And already you've begun to do that. And how cool is it that we have a fund that exists just to serve our community and those in need in our church family? We can come alongside of them and they have uh, help. And uh, you guys are beginning to respond to that. And so this is just kind of just our MO. When there's a need, we come before you and we say, Here, here's what it is. And, and I, I got to tell you, I have zero, zero hesitation looking at you and saying, here's the, here's the problem. Here's the vision. Go home and pray about it because the Lord has been unbelievably faithful to this church for 50 years. Before that, there are hundreds of thousands of local churches all throughout the world in history that God has been unbelievably good and kind and faithful to. There are churches all over Bartlett and beyond that I just love getting to watch what God is doing in that local church. Here, this is the church that we're commissioned to steward in this place and this time. And and I just got to tell you, I have never been personally more excited and more grateful for how I'm watching God move. And let me, let, me just, let me just illustrate this simply for you. My wife came to church here when she was nine years old. And I don't know any, any little girl or mom or dad, they're over there, who would want to leave San Diego, California for Carroll Stream, Illinois. Um, But I live every day with the fruit of Village Church because I married a woman who grew up in this place. My wife's love for the word of God was birthed here. My wife's love for missions and global outreach, it was birthed here. My wife's love for people for children and for students, it was birthed here. In December of 2002, I proposed to my wife, and right after I proposed, we went to Mike and Robin Kammerer's home because they were hosting the Progressive Dinner. And there were, I'm guessing, 100 people in that house And the way they loved and celebrated with my wife, it was clear I was marrying an entire church family. And she, she had mothers in the faith and fathers in the faith who loved her dearly, who had watched her and grown her spiritually. And I got to be on the receiving end of this. Her and I had zero expectation that I would become the youth pastor and then later the senior pastor of Village Church. Zero expectation of that when we got married. I'm raising three children and this is the only church they have ever known. And I cannot tell you how excited I am that you, and you know exactly who you are, you hang out with my kids, you pick them up, you take them out, you're their youth leaders, you are their kids leaders, their Awana leaders, you serve with them, you speak truth to them, you correct them, you call out what God has put into them. I, I, I am telling you, raising my kids is a family affair with all of you. And you have been so incredible. My kids love this place. They love Jesus. I had the opportunity over the last year to baptize all three of them with my wife. And what a joy to be able to watch spiritual fruit grow in my children. I'm telling you, forget about all that out there. I'm just looking at my own personal life. And I have seen the way Village Church has profoundly, absolutely changed my family's life. I was 21 years old when I walked through the doors of this church. And when I unexpectedly became the youth pastor of Village Church, everything that I know about leadership, teaching the Bible, preaching, has all happened here. You had to put up with a lot. I speak four times slower now up front than I did when I started. I gave some of the most abysmal sermons on the planet right here. Worst. Had a big white belt for years and you all put up with it. You guys remember that? Some of you do. When I was 29 years old, you guys made, I thought it was a ridiculous decision at the time, but 
a primarily baby boomer church voted to have a 29-year-old become their senior pastor. That's weird, by the way, because at the time, boomers hated millennials. Remember that? I think we're over it, right? And that's just my story. My best friends are here. Our elders have been so incredibly good and kind as brothers in Christ. I just love the deacons we've been able to serve with. I mean, I cannot tell you the impact personally of this place on my life. And it's been really hard at times. The worst moments of my life have happened here and the best moments of my life have happened here. That's family, isn't it? Mm. I applaud with you. So I look at you and I have zero, actually it's funny because when I looked at the numbers, I was like, I have zero frustration with our church. I have zero desire to manipulate you, truly. I don't want to guilt you or shame you. I look at Moses and I'm like, I want to have that kind of confidence. Here's, here's where we're at. Here's where we're going. Here's what we need. Let's talk about it. Go pray. Let's figure this out. And I have no, no hesitation of wondering how any funds are going to be used because I get to watch it on the ground and experience personally the benefit of it. And I think so do you in your own way. And I've learned a bigger principle here that has been really just good for my soul. And it's this. God funds his vision for the church. Trust me, I have a million ideas. And about one or two of them a year are from God. Right? You guys know what I'm saying? And we have to follow the limitations that the Lord puts on us because his will is found in the limits he gives us. And I've learned to love every limitation that God gives us because it's another way that he is focusing and showing us his will. And so as we look to this next season, I'm like, God, I'm, I'm just excited to talk to our church. I'm excited to see how they respond. And then we're gonna get even more clarity as what your will is in this next season based on how you fund your vision. Now, as we, as we get ready to close, I probably should just end the sermon there, but I did a lot more prep. So uh, I wanna share with you, uh, usually we do is so what's like propositions or statements. Um, our, our three or so what's are gonna be questions. So here's the first question. Why would God allow our funds to decrease while the needs are increasing drastically? And when I mean the needs are increasing drastically, the needs are increasing drastically. So I've been self-reflecting a little bit and so some of our leaders and, and here's, here's a couple reasons. Number one, to test our leaders. I, I have found that God tests spiritual leaders in two big circumstances. Here's the first circumstance where God tests spiritual leaders. He tests them after they have failed. Uh, God is looking for repentance and humility. He reserves, we'll say, resources to see how they're gonna respond, to see if they lean in in prayer and in transparency and honesty. I don't have a sense that there's been some big leadership failure at Village Church. I feel like we've been trying to be as prayerful and frugal and intentional as possible. But that is one of the reasons why sometimes God does withhold. But there's a second reason that I think is really valuable. I find that God withholds and he tests leaders before he's going to give them greater responsibility. And what we're watching right now is the responsibility to steward every soul that attends Village Church, it is a great honor and it's a great privilege. And if I were God, I would test me way harder than he is. If I were God and I wanted to like allow you the privilege to steward and shepherd any of my children, I would wanna know that when push comes to shove, will you do the hard things? So are we really committed to God's glory in the mission? I probably would allow a whole bunch of distractions to come our way to see if we bite. Will we really live within our means? Will we communicate truthfully, transparently, and trustingly with you? Will we cut 22% of our costs by the new year if trends don't change? God doesn't owe Village Church a dime. We owe him everything. And it's our joy to flex and respond with whatever vision he has, and we can get clarity through that in terms practically and how some of that's funded. Why would God allow our funds to decrease while the needs are increasing drastically? Here's the second reason, to force innovation. Have you ever noticed that when you have plenty, you are a little less thoughtful about how you spend? Village Church has never been flushed with cash in 50 years. We are the grittiest, scrappiest group of people I've ever met in my life. This whole building was built by the men and women of our church. These bricks were laid by us. Every part of this building gets built by the people. 
It's the way we've always done things. And the Lord has always just given us enough to move in the direction of his will and then withheld a lot of it so that we do this together. How easy is it for us to just hire everything out, but we go, there's a better way to do this. In fact, I think we can grow closer as a family if we just do this together and we can save hundreds of thousands of dollars. Village Church has been a gritty, scrappy group of people, and I think the Lord has honestly formed so much of who we are by never giving us a ton of money or more than we could handle. It's been actually really good. Sometimes God withholds so that people step up, so that people come together, so that he can just partner with us. All right, so what number two? It's one of the most frequent questions I get asked. How much money should I give to my local church? We can't talk about tithing, actually, without actually going after this. So here's the principle, and I want to show it to you. In the New Testament, the Bible's focus is on a person's desire and prosperity, not percentages. Mind-blown again, right? The Bible's focus is on a person's desire and prosperity, not percentages. Let's look at desire. Exodus chapter 35, verse 29. All the men and women... The people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering. Look at prosperity in, 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 in chapter 35, verse 24. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. Do you know what that means? Not everyone could. And are they sinning because they can't? No way. Let's watch this in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 8, 12. Paul combines this desire and prosperity. He says, for if the readiness is there, meaning if your heart is ready, like this is what you want, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he doesn't have. When people tell you to give more than you have, it's kind of inconsistent with some of the biblical principles. Or here's the Jerusalem offering from Acts eleven twenty nine. The disciples determined every one of them according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. In the New Testament, the Bible's focus is on a person's desire and their prosperity, not their percentage. For some people, you give 10% and you are way undercutting it. For some people, you do not need to give 10% because you don't have 10% to give. And this is where it is far better for the people of God to think about giving like this. I need to go pray. I need to get aligned with my family. And I need to make sure that my heart is willing, my heart is generous, that I want to do this. And the freedom in Christ for giving is amazing. Tithing is not law. It was law in the Old Testament. It is now a free will offering. All right, let's, let's introspect before we close. Which Israelite am I most like right now? And I think it's really healthy for us to put vocabulary to what's happening in our heart. So, number one, I'm willing, but I'm unable. Life happened, debt happened, tragedy happened, circumstances happened, you lost your job, something. I want to, I just literally can't. Maybe you want to, but you have a spouse who's not willing And that in and of itself is a whole dialogue that you guys are trying to work through. Here's category number two. I'm unwilling and unable. Like even if I could, I wouldn't. Maybe, by the way, your reasons are good. There are some organizations I'm unwilling to give to, even if I could. And maybe you have questions that need to be answered and you need to kind of vet those out and go deeper there. But some of you might be in a position where you are unable and you're unwilling. Here's the third category. Maybe you're able, but you are unwilling. You're like, I've got, I've got the money. I'm going to give it somewhere. I'm going to be generous. Um, but I'm really not willing to do this right now. Maybe it's your past hurt. Maybe there's confusion. Maybe there's gossip you heard. I don't know. It could be a million different things. That's a category. Maybe you're just stingy. <laughs> that could be it too. Are you able and willing? You're like, yeah, I can. And I actually really want to. This is good. And what I find is that most Christians are in this place. You're able to do something, and you are willing. There is another category of people that have a unique gift of generosity. It's a spiritual gift, and they are able and they're generous. Like, they are always constantly looking for some need to meet. The Lord has blessed them more than they have ever needed or imagined. And so their eyes are wide open, and they're like, I could meet that need, I could meet that need, I could meet that need. And you're already, you're thinking about like, hmm, I know exactly how we could go about resolving this issue. Oh, I have a great idea. You love fundraisers because you're like, I, I just want to, I want to be generous to building the kingdom, and you're trying to find the most strategic places to build the kingdom with the excess resources that God has given you. Praise God. 
But I think putting vocabulary to all of that, and so when you go home and you pray, and you're like, all right, Lord, um, the pastor brought to us a pretty concerning trend happening that's impacting everything on the ground. I need to go pray about this. And God, right now, I'm, I am able and I am unwilling. Would you help me work in my heart? What's, what's going on there? Or, or maybe it's like, God, I am unable and I want to. Would you show me another way that I can make a difference and I can help reduce costs in different ways so that we can continue to bring the gospel to people in our church and our community? Again, I give this to you and I say, I think God's word is so helpful. And I, I hope that you experience nothing but truthfulness, transparency, and trusting from our leadership to you. And I also hope that you see that we are just inspired by the way Moses does this. And I wanna show you how this ends, and I think it's really beautiful. As I read this, I need you to know I have no script for how you will respond at all. All I know is over the next month or two as we watch the response from Village Church, that will be really helpful for our leadership to figure out what is the will of God in this next season. But let's watch how this ends, and I think it's sort of hilarious. Exodus chapter 36, verse two. Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary, they came, each from the task that he was doing. And said to Moses, the people bring, this is, I think, hilarious, much more than enough for doing the work the Lord has commanded us to do. You think it's a good sign they're maybe onto something here, like they're doing the will of the Lord? So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. Isn't that hilarious? So the people, this is a great word, the people were restrained from bringing more. For the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. What a great reminder for every one of us, every leader, every staff member, every volunteer, every person who attends church. God always funds his vision through his people. And as he provides, we get to see the will of God more clearly. So Village, it's a joy, pleasure to open God's word with you. Talk about all of this and the many more fun subjects coming up over the next year as the whole world goes crazy and we get to be grounded in Jesus and the word. Let's pray together. Father, love you so much and thankful for uh, this church family. Thankful for many, many years ago that you brought Mark and Sally here and I got to... um, marry a woman raised in this church. Thank you for the joy to raise my kids here. Thank you for this church's um, kindness to me, putting up with me as I particularly grew up as a leader. But Lord, I know that's just my story and every one of us have reasons to give glory to you. Thankfulness for how you've used this community in our best moments, our worst moments, formation of our hearts. God, it has been so abundantly clear that your presence has been in this place and you are bearing spiritual fruit. And what I love is that it's not just here. It's Alliance Bible Church, it's Poplar Creek, it's all just crazy how many amazing things that you are doing through local churches. It's blown away. You love your local church. You are with your local church. You love when we love it. And so God, um, thank you for that privilege. Most, most of all, I am thankful for Jesus. Lord, he is the image of the greatest, most generous gift ever. God the Father, you've given us your son. Jesus, you have given us your body and we get salvation, we get forgiveness, we have freedom from hell and freedom from sin and the absolute confident hope of eternal life all because of you. So as we celebrate communion, would you just well up in our hearts gratitude, love for you because of who you are, your faithfulness and what you have done in our lives. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen, Ville Church. Amen. Amen.